So I don't know if any of you can relate with this. I think it's a pretty normal thing, but I really enjoy watching miniseries, TV shows, movies that have to do with World War I or World War II. Anybody kind of fascinated with that kind of stuff? So there's this recent remake of a classic movie. Actually, it started off as a, as a book written by someone who had actually experienced World War I, but uh, called All Quiet on the Western Front. And a friend of mine just recommended that to me. It's on Netflix. Listen, I, sometimes I, you know, I'm not necessarily rec- recommending the movie to you because it's brutal. I mean, it's, it's about war. It's very what I imagine to be realistic. And so I watched through that, and what, what's fascinating to me about this take, and this is not a spoiler, I mean, this book has been around for, for years. This is written by someone who actually uh, fought on the German side, and when he came back home, he, I mean, the novel was not very popular, especially with Nazi Germany, because it, it just talked about how horrific this war was. And, and, and it kind of portrays the propaganda that was used to convince these young German men to join the cause. And how it was basically all, it was just lies. I mean, it's, hey, fight for the fatherland, fight for glory and for honor and all of these things. Um, even, even the name of God is, is used to invoke, you know, the, the, the um, I don't know, the quest for power and, and, uh, and excitement, I guess, trying to instill in these young men. But when they get to the front and they actually start fighting in the war, as you can imagine, if you've never watched any of these things, it's absolutely horrific. And they soon come to realize that everything that they've been told is, is based on a lie. That everything that they have been, you know, inspired by, you know, was completely, absolutely meaningless. And the reason I bring that up is because as we continue our sermon series called Live No Lies, there's, there's a particular war that we are engaged in that maybe we don't recognize. And there's two different sides. And on the one side, there's the side that is full of propaganda. There's full of lies. There's full of things that kind of twist the desires that we have, even some of the innate good things that we're created with, but twist them in ways that, that corrupt us and take us down one path. And then there's the side of truth, the side of goodness. And on both sides, there's, there's a fight, there's a, there's a battle that we wage. And, and that, battle, that battleground has a lot to do with our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength. And so as we're striving as a, as a church family and starting off this year's with this sermon series, we're striving to know and love the truth. One of the things that's really important for us to recognize and understand is that there is a battle that we face. And there's this really famous interaction. There's two main scriptures that we're going to be in this morning. One is in Matthew chapter 4. The other is in Ephesians 6. So if you have your Bible with you and want to go ahead and turn to both of those and, and keep those ready, uh, that, that would be great. But in Matthew chapter 4, there's this really famous interaction that kind of shows the, the battle that we're in, where there's this interaction between Jesus and, and the devil. This is found in Matthew. It's found in Luke chapter 4 as well. Even Mark makes a mention of this, uh, devotes a couple of verses to this, where Jesus is out in the wilderness. He's fasting and praying, preparing his, himself for ministry. He's out there for 40 days, and the devil comes along to, to tempt him. He's tempting Jesus to sin. And so I, w- I just want to read that passage, and we're going to take a very quick overview of this because there's two main points that I want us to see in this and draw out as, as we continue on and move to Ephesians chapter 6 here in a few minutes. So Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. There's a lot we can unpack here in this interaction. I mean, it's, it's a pretty cosmic you know, battle, as, as, you can, as you can imagine. But there are two things that are really important that I want us to draw out of this. Note that the devil attacks Jesus' identity. That he's very specific. Say, hey, if, are you really the son of God? He, he's trying to get him to question his purpose, why he's here, what God has brought him here to do. So if you are really the son of God, and, and the other thing that he does is that he twists scripture, the truth, to garner acceptance of the lie. This is how sin works, and this is how temptation works. The goal of sin, the, the goal of sin, the goal of the enemy is to get us to miss the mark. To twist things just enough so that we're taken off course and head in a different direction. That's why we talked about repentance last week and how it's something that, that's a continual part of living the Christian life and being a disciple of Jesus. It's because there, there's, a, there's a wrong direction that the enemy wants us to go to. There's a right direction that God wants us to go to. And repentance is turning to that right thing. So the two things that are really important here is the propaganda of the enemy attacks the core of who we are. Because if, if the core of who we are, the core identity of who, he is, of who we are, of who God has created us to be, if, if we can get that and we can twist that, if the enemy can twist that, then he can take us way off course. And what Jesus does to reject the lies of this propaganda is he knows, proclaims, and lives the truth. This is, this is how he combats this. This is why last week our application was to be sure that we're reading Scripture Reading the Bible, finding ourself, finding a way to immerse ourselves in Scripture helps us to recognize the lie and how to replace it with the truth. And this interaction with Jesus and the devil is a picture of much larger spiritual war that we find ourselves battling through and a part of every day, in which the victory is already won through Jesus, and yet the enemy wants to cause as many casualties as possible. And so the ways we're tempted to feed our desires and the environments that we even find ourselves in in the world that is contrary to God's best for us are the battleground upon which we fight. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. Only our enemy aren't other people, which is an important distinction to, to recognize. So our goal is not to fight against or hurt other people. Um, they, our enemy are the things that attack our very soul, led by the strongest weapon that the enemy has. Lies that we live as though they are true. And so I just want us to identify them in a really simple way. I recommend, re recommended the book Live No Lies by John Mark Comer last week because that's the inspiration for the sermon series as we go through this. And the three enemies of the soul that he really clearly and succinctly draws out for us that, that we f see represented in Scripture, I really like the way that he, he portrays this. He said, first, we've got the devil. We, most of us have heard of him, I, I think. Um, and the devil, the way the devil works is through deceptive ideas. Secondly, the, the, the other second enemy that we have against our soul is our own flesh. 
And those deceptive ideas, what they do is they work in our hearts and their minds and they um, play to disordered desires that we have in our life. So they seek to twist some of the things, even the good things that God has created for us to enjoy in this life, but to twist them in ways that kind of take us off, off path of the ways that God has meant for us to enjoy those things. And then the environment that we live in, the world, is also can be an enemy to the soul. Deceptive ideas that then play to disorder desires that then are accepted and normalized in society. And so from the world, we feel the pressure to participate or to be okay with these things that God really says, oh, this is not, this is not what I created you for. This is not what actually produces goodness in your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And so disinformation, that propaganda or as scripture would call it, deception, is the root of almost every single problem that we faced in our souls and in our society. And I get it. You start talking about the devil. You start talking about spiritual warfare. You start talking about the unseen cosmic battleground that exists. The metaphysical nature of those topics can feel very strange, very weird. After all, those aren't something that we point to and we look at. And, and there's not, you know, a physical representation of a guardian angel and a, and a little demon here fighting and, and warring in our ears. And I'm pretty sure that's not how that works anyway. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, more next, next week. But l- let me just say the spiritual, the spiritual war that we face and w- when Scripture talks about spiritual reality that we live within, spiritual is not a term for something less real than physical. And there are things that we can observe that help us to understand and recognize that that's true. So the impact of sin in our world, the fact that we live in a, in a, in a, uh, in a world that is broken by sin, we see that in, in physical realities. Every time we see chaos or natural disasters or de- disease, death, deformity, any of those kinds of things, we see, we see that, hey, th- there is a physical reality to this spiritual uh, realm that we live within, that we are part of. And then there are the atrocities that humans choose to take part in willfully against each other. War, genocide, torture, abuse, cheating, assault, stealing, slavery, racism, murder. I mean, the list can, can continue on. We see physical representation of the spiritual reality that we live in. And then the ways in which our world has disordered identity, right? The core of who we are that Satan wants to produce propaganda for us to buy into in our world, particularly in the family, gender, sexuality, marriage, work, and community, and the list can continue. We can see the brokenness that's revealed in our hearts. We can, we can observe the propaganda and the results of that in our world, in the minds of humanity that... Um, you know, we, we recognize that there's a sphere, physical struggle because of a spiritual reality. This is identified a number of times. It's addressed in the Bible in all kinds of ways, but the clearest and most succinct way is in Ephesians chapter 6. And so that's our, our next text, text that we're going to be looking at. And this is from the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And so here's what he says, starting in verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The spiritual reality is this, is that as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We, we receive the gift of God's continual presence in our life. And the enemy doesn't want that to be the case. And so we have the Holy Spirit, we have an advocate for us that leads us to the truth, and we also have an accuser in the form of the devil who wants us to lead, away, lead us away from the advocate. And so the battleground is spiritual, but the prize is, is the souls of humanity. 
And so while our advocate gives us strength and is the power in which we stand against the devil's schemes, the accuser seeks to undermine us through propaganda that twists the nature of reality and God's created order, what he wants us to enjoy, how he wants us to be happy, how he wants us to experience what is good and to know what true joy really is. And so Paul continues on, he reminds us to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand in the battle against these three enemies that war against our soul. And so he says this in verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The question in our lives is, is not whether or not we're ever going to be lied to. It's not whether or not we're ever going to face a battle in our lives. It's, it's not a question of if, but it's a question of when. And some of you have been through this. Some of you know that you, some of you are fighting battles right now and you recognize this. And, and Paul says, hey, there are very practical things, tools that God has given us in this spiritual warfare that we all face. The physical reality is met by the spiritual reality that God prepares us with. And Paul's description here, putting on the full armor of God, I mean, it fits very well with the, uh, the quintessential soldier, the, the best of the best that you could get in the ancient world, and that is the Roman centurion. And I and I'm venture to say most of us have not put on armor before. I don't Have any of you put... Some, some of you I know have served, yes, I'm seeing some that have, but most of us have not not had that experience. And so I just want to give you a picture of what Paul is talking about when he says this, because when he gives this list of the full armor of God, he's not talking about the, these things that Scripture doesn't talk about anywhere where else. He's saying, hey, all of these things come together, and this is how we protect ourselves, and this is how we fight in this battle and this spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in. So he gives this clear, very clear spiritual health battle plan preparation that we participate in. So the first thing is he says, hey, um, Put on the belt of truth. Why is a belt so important? Well, I, if you don't know that, I'm not really sure what to say. Um, well, but for a Roman, Roman centurion, a belt uh, girding the loins is what Paul says here. It was a tough leather apron worn beneath the armor, which protected the vital organs and made movement easier. Um, fighting, fighting spiritual warfare helps to begin with a very basic base foundational level that we need, and that is we, we need to be able to stand up with the truth. And that truth comes from God through Jesus, the belt of truth. Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The devil is the father of lies. That is how he works. And so Paul says the first thing you've got to deal with is the truth. That, that is the foundation through which everything else uh, begins. Then he says, put on the blessed, breast, breast, bleh. The blessed plate. That, could sound, that sounds biblical, right? That's, that's not what he says. Maybe I should slow down. Christina gives me a hard time because I talk really fast. Um, breast plate. I should be more southern. I did grow up in Virginia. I don't know why uh, I don't talk slower. Breast plate of righteousness. This armor protected the vital organs of the chest, the lungs, and the heart. For the Roman soldier, this was an arrow-proof protection. 
While as Christians we are covered by the righteousness of Jesus, it protects us from evil when we live out the righteousness of Jesus. When we walk as Jesus walked, when we talk as Jesus talked, we are much better prepared for the slings and arrows that the enemy sets, um, um, sets toward us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 says, Put on the new self. We are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then Paul goes on to say, the shoes of the gospel of peace, put those on. In Romans chapter 10, verse 15, he writes, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I don't know how many of you like to walk. Um, I, I do it because I have to, but it's not something I go out of my way. But especially when you got pack on and armor on and you're marching for miles and miles to go be prepared to fight in a war, you got to make sure that you have some strong leather sandals if you're a Roman centurion, uh, for designed for a lot of use and mobility. Um, there's an irony here, right? Because shoes made for war are supposed to bring peace. Wait, what, what's what's happening here? The battle is against evil, though. And as Christ followers, we are part of the liberation that the gospel brings. Those who are oppressed by the powers of sin and darkness, and that liberation brings peace. And we're called to take up the shield of faith. The Roman shield was wooden with layers of hide and flaming arrows would be a scary tool of war without a way to deflect. But also keep in mind um, that when we keep our complete hope and trust in God, he can't penetrate through that shield. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You know, arrows are looking for exposed places, chinks in the armor. But they're easily deflected by these shields. And Roman soldiers, they didn't just hold their shields by their, themselves. They also drilled together, and they made shield walls, and they made sure that every gap was filled when they worked together. When they, that, when, and, and we do the same thing as followers of Jesus when we encourage one another, when we are in community with one another, when we share life with one another, when we share faith with one another. Um, we're soldiers that are part of an army. And one of the lies that the enemy wants us to think is that when we're in the midst of battle and spiritual warfare that we're alone and that we've got to take it on by ourselves and our own strength. But not only is God always with us, the advocate of the Holy Spirit is always present within us, We've got a church family. We've got a body of believers that we're called to rely on and to lock shields with and to be prepared for. God will protect and provide when the enemy attacks. And then Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. You know, um, when it isn't wartime, you don't, you don't need a helmet. A helmet wasn't worn on a march. Putting on your helmet meant that the battle had begun. Well, the battle has begun. And, and the helmet of salvation, we need, to, we need to have that worn. It not only protects us, it also is the assurance of a future promise and a present reality. While the devil may scheme to take down as many with him as he can in battle, he's, always lo he, he's already lost the war. The war is already, already won. And the best thing he can do is to try to distract us and keep our attention away from who God has called us to be. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the work of Jesus Christ is, is to help us to be in a place where we have the assurance that we know exactly where we're headed. 
and where we're going and where we stand in our relationship with God. And so if, if you're not sure of whether or not you have the helmet of salvation on, that's one of those things that as a church, we, we want to be here to talk with you about, to walk with you through and answer whatever questions, whatever doubts you might have, however you struggle with that and deal with that. If you're not sure where you stand with God, that, that's, something, that's something that we want to talk about and we want to deal with. Because one of, the, one of the most calming and assuring things that we can have is to know that when we're in the midst of the battle, we already know the outcome of the war. That we know that whatever happens in that moment, whatever happens with that thing that we're struggling with, that's not the moment that's not going to define us. That's not the thing that's going to determine our direction. That's not going to th- be the thing that defines our future and who we are. Because God has already done that. You know, last week we celebrated a, a baptism, which is an amazing way to kick off the very first Sunday of the year. And maybe that's your next step. Maybe that's one of those things you haven't said, hey, I'm, I'm not all in with, with God yet, and I want to do that. Maybe it's talking about what it means to believe in God, to, to have faith. Maybe it's talking about what it looks like to have repentance or, or to confess that Jesus is Lord. Um, we would love to be a part of that and talk with you about that. So please let us know. Go to VelociChurch.info and uh, share that with us. And then finally, Paul mentions the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the only offensive weapon mentioned by Paul, and, and he's talking about Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 4, it's described, uh, the Bible is described as a sword as well in verse 12. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Um, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but unfortunately, one of the deceptions of the enemy is that all this preparation for battle is meant to fight against other people who are still separated from God. And, and maybe by the time we get this far down in Paul's list, we've forgotten that he's already mentioned that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, is what he says. And it's against their temptation, deceit, and oppression against us, because they seek to separate us from God. And that's what the real problem is. And God's word, preserved for us in the Bible, is the tool and weapon that gives us the heart and the head, the mind, the strength, the soul, to not only survive against, but to defeat the enemy seeking to destroy us in our lives, the battles that we face. At the very beginning of this description of the full armor of God, Paul repeats the word stand. And anytime you see a word repeated like this in Scripture, it means the author is emphasizing this. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. And then he continues on. There's no prescription for retreat in Scripture because it's not necessary. Because no matter what is thrown at us, no matter what the devil, no matter what our own disordered desires in our own hearts and minds, our flesh, no matter what the world pressures us into, none of those things can knock us down. None of those things can send us into retreat. That, That God has equipped us, the victory has already been won, he has given us the tools to to fight the battle and, and we can stand and stand firm, confident that we are part of the one who is victorious. I mentioned at the beginning of the message, All Quiet on the Western Front. And one of the things that made the propaganda of war and what the book is about um, so evil for these young German men was it, it wasn't just that they had to experience the atrocities of war. That would be bad enough. 
But it's, it's what happens as a result of that. And what it did is it, it robbed an entire generation of not only their lives, but also of their humanity. Even, even the ones who survived didn't, didn't really survive you know, in, the, in the way that we think survival should, should work. It robbed them of their humanity. There was nothing righteous or holy at stake for what they were doing. And despite being told there was, they fought and died for a lie, separated from what is good. When it comes to the spiritual battle we've been equipped to engage in, it is to stand and for and live in the truth. Because in contrast, it enables us to experience that which is good by remaining connected to the one who is good. Remember, the three enemies of the soul are the devil, deceptive ideas, the flesh, deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires in our hearts and minds, and the world, deceptive ideas that play to disordered ideas that are normalized in a sinful society. The more these things are present in our lives, the farther away from truth and therefore the creator of reality that we find ourselves in. And so Paul gives the context in which we prepare and engage in this battle. At the very end of this, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, he says, all right, you've got all of these things together. You've got all these tools for the spiritual war that, battle that we all face. Here's the context in which we engage and prepare for this battle. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In a war that's already been won, the only hope for the enemy to gain a victory is to separate us from God. So sin does. It causes us to miss the mark. It causes us to be separate from him. And the reason we continue to fight is to be in communion with God, despite what seeks to separate us from the truth. And the way that we stay in communion with God is through prayer. And so all of these things that we prep for, all these tools that we put into place, the armor that we put on, the taking up the, the sword of truth, the, the way that we engage in this battle is through being in communion with God, in relationship with him. Because that's, that's all the enemy can try to hope to accomplish, is to keep us separated from the one who loves us, from the one who created us, from the one who desires all good things for us. And so the way that we subvert that, the warfare that we engage in, is to be in communion with God, is to be in relationship with God, is, is to fight for that and to pray, to spend time praying the truth of God's word, talking and listening with God, praying for one another, engaging in a very active, not passive way, in which we don't just say, you know, oh, sure, yeah, I have a prayer request. Yeah, we'll, we'll pray for you that. But no, we, we, we engage in them. We do that right then. And right there and right now, we create times in our calendar and in our day to engage this. Not just before a meal. That's fine. That's great. Like, don't stop doing this. Not just right before bed when you go to bed at night. Now, this is a continual communion with God that we're called to engage in and be a part of. Because not only is, is that where we fight in and engage the battle, but, but we recognize the, the instructions that we were given by our commander. If you want to take, take the analogy and continue it on. And we recognize what he's called us to do is to engage in love and joy and peace and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness, to experience his grace and mercy and to share that with other people. You know, even the world recognizes that when there's no other place to turn, that there, there's no other solution that we can find, 
that, that we turn to prayer. I mean, we're, see, we're seeing this happen in the NFL right now, in the, in the professional sports world. If any of you are connecting that, you, you've, seen, you've seen this take place. It's like, well, man, this, this incredibly, you know, moving, emotionally, you know, um, charged thing. What, what do we do with this? That, you know, it's, there's, a, there's this turn to prayer because we, we recognize innately that there's only but so much that we can do. And, and when, we turn, when we turn to God and we recognize that he is the tw- way, he is the truth, he is the life, he's the only one that can accomplish any, all the things that we desperately need to accomplish and can't do on our own, that's, that's, that's where we head and that's where we lean. We all, fight against, we all fight battles against lies, propaganda, deceptions about what matters most in life and how to go about it, how to go about it. But none of that has to happen without a community of people who are seeking to know and love the truth and who are continual communion and contact with the one who shows us that truth through his word and those who follow him. So kind of like how I ended uh, last week's sermon, where I said, read the Bible. I don't, well, you know, standing up, sitting down, listening, you know, uh, I don't, on the way to work, on the way, you know, I don't care. <laughs> Just it put, put, put time and effort into engaging with God's word. Whatever, whatever place you want to start, you want to start in the Gospels and read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that, that's great. Do that. The same, same thing to do, same, I, have, I have the same thing to say about prayer is, is, is do it and participate in it. Look, I, I joke about this sometimes where I sit around in a group of people, you know, small group or, you know, whatever those things in and I say, all right, who wants to pray? And everybody kind of, you know, averts, averts the eyes and say, well, let the professional do it. You know, that always happens. You know, I go, go places and randomly, I was like, hey, Rob, you know, why, why don't you pray for us? Like, sure, I guess, you know, I have to pray again. I'm just kidding. That, that's, <laughs> that's not really my attitude. But he, he, here's, here's the thing I got to say. Um, <clears throat> we we got to get over that. We, we got to get over that. I, I don't, it's, it's the, the social anxiety, right, side of, um, I might say something wrong or I might not say something the right way or, or those kind of things. We got to get, we got to move way past that because that, that's kind of one of those, that's one of those, uh, that's a spiritual warfare thing. And I'm, I'm, you know, my attitude, I'm not upset or angry or anything. I'm, I'm just saying, I just gen, I genuinely feel in those moments, um, just a little deflated because, I'm, because I, I recognize that as a moment in which the enemy is kind of like, ah, you, might, you might say something wrong or, you know, it's a little, little nerve-wracking to talk in front of people and those kinds of things. And I totally, I totally get it. And, and whatever we can do to help you work through that, even if it's praying one-on-one with another person or whatever that looks like for you to kind of help, help, you, help you through that, we would love, however we can do that, I mean, let, let us know. Or even... Like, how do I start or how do I, how do I end? Like, how, how should I do this? I mean, ask those questions. Our small groups um, are, are a safe place for all of that to engage in those things. But, man, man could, we, could we get to a place where um, we are so disconcerned about all those other things, but we're, we just are in a place where we recognize it? No, I, God wants to be in communion with me. God wants to be in relationship with me. And... Um, the, the one thing that the enemy wants and the only thing the enemy could fight for is for us to be disconnected from him. So this the most subversive thing that we could do in that moment is, is, to, is, is to pray, is to, is to engage in that. In our personal lives, um, in, our, in our communal lives together.
And so I want to encourage you to pray. You got that coworker that's going something, going through something at work and says, I just don't know what to do with it. Maybe you don't have the words to say to them. Maybe you don't have the wisdom. Maybe you don't have the experience to share into that. It's fine. Ask them, hey, is, would it be cool if us just kind of go to the side and pray? Can I just pray about it? Because I, I don't really, that's all I, I can, like I don't have the wisdom for it. I, I don't know what's going on. Could I, could I pray for you? Do it in your homes with your kids. Take them aside. You get opportunities to pray. Look for those moments in life. Do it right there where there's an opportunity. Um, Jesus, in his ministry throughout the Gospels, didn't do anything without it. And Jesus, 40 days, for 40 days before his ministry started, he spent time in prayer and fasting. And when the battle came, despite his physical weakness, despite being hungry, despite all of the pressure on him, when the battle came, and we read that interaction in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and Mark, that the devil came to tempt him to take him off course, to separate him from God's purpose for his life. He was, he was ready because he spent that time with God, and he was strengthened, and he was ready to go. Let's pray together. God, the, um, <clears throat> the way in which you allow us to engage with you and approach you is and when we stop and really consider it and we look at all the other examples of the world, um, it is an astounding thing that we have a direct connection with you, that Jesus bridges the gap between us and you, that we are no longer separated from you as disciples of Jesus. Not only that, that you continue, continuously indwell us with your Holy Spirit, that you are continually present with us through this life. And God, help us to... Um, Help us to fight through the distractions. Help us to fight through the propaganda and seek to be continually in communion with you. God, um, even when we don't have the words, you, you have promised that your Holy Spirit will provide them for us. That, that even when we're, we're stunned in silence and, and, and don't even know what to say in our prayer life, that, that you, you will take up, take up the slack on our behalf. And God, we praise you for that. God, help us to see the opportunities that we have to remain continually connected to you. Help us to put into practice the tools that you have given us to uh, fight the war against the truth that, that we experience in our spiritual lives. And God, how, how it connects to, to things in the, in the physical world that, um, that we are often so caught up in and distracted by. God, we, we love you, and um, we know that you love us. God, help us to continually seek that love through you and in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.